0: All right, here we go. When I was in high school, I worked for a big box uh, retail company that started with a wall and ended with a Mart. And um, when I worked there, I worked in the garden center. And my job was to do anything and everything out there, load trucks, uh, help people with flowers, move things around, and even run register at times. And I always hated running the register Because out there, you're so far away from the rest of the store. And if there was ever a time that you had to void a transaction or something wasn't ringing up for the right price, you had to call and get backup. Now, why is that? The reason was is because I was not authorized to change the price on any certain item. And I was not authorized as just a normal associate employee to, uh, to void out larger transactions. So I had to wait on the keys. I had to wait on the keys. And here eventually would come a CSM... What we call them? Customer service manager? Uh, or Whatever, I don't know what that is. But yeah, I think that's right. And they would come all the way uh, across and they would make their way after they get interrupted 10 or 20 times and make it out there and turn the key so that we could void out the transaction or adjust the price. This morning what I want to talk to us about is that we in fact have been given the keys by Christ and we are authorized for the task that he's called us to do. And so I'm going to move fast, but I'm going to look at Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And uh, I'm leaning heavily, unapologetically, on the work of Jonathan Lehman, uh, especially found in his book, Don't Fire Your Church Members. And so let's let's dive in, and I'm more than willing to answer questions later and unpack any of this further with you later. In Matthew 16, you know what's going on there. Uh, Jesus comes in and he says, who do you say that I am? It's the most important question anybody can answer. And you see in the answers that they give, and Peter eventually says, you are the Christ, right? You are the son of the living God. And what happens there is that Jesus does two things. He, he, he affirms two things. He affirms what we're going to call the what and the who of the gospel. And uh, I have no idea if my PowerPoint's in line with my notes, so just hang, hang in there. Meatloaf, if you're trying to keep up with me. Um, and so, so he, he's going to do two things. He's going to affirm the, the what and the who of the gospel. He's going to affirm the confession, right? You're, and he affirms the confessor. So he says, that's right, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't didn't, uh, um, reveal this to you, but it was his Father in heaven, right? So he affirms Peter as this confessor, and he affirms the confession, this true and right confession. And what he's saying is, that is the right confession of the gospel, and you are a true confessor of the gospel. And what happens from there is that, that from there, he says... And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In verse 19 he says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so much ink has been spilt over the keys of the kingdom, right? There's been a lot talked about there. but, But here's what I want us to see. The argument that I'm making is that Jesus has in that moment He has authorized the church to speak for heaven on earth. In the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is a mega theme running through. Uh, John the Baptist begins, right? Uh, Matthew lays out his gospel account with John the Baptist saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in this, we can see over and over the kingdom of heaven is this major theme running through. And what Jesus is doing is he's authorizing the church, all right, hang with me, I'm going to make that case. You're like, I oh, us just talking about Peter here. He's authorizing the church to speak for heaven on earth. The next place that he uses similar language is in Matthew 18. And over in Matthew 18, when we talk about really church discipline, And if a brother sins against you, Jesus tells him what to do, right? Go, try to win the brother, Uh, take two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, to the church, not to the apostles, not to those who uh, are an authority of the church, but to the whole church. That The final court of appeal is the entire gathering, the entire ecclesia, the entire church. And then he uses this language of binding and loosing again, Right? Then this language comes back up, so it should remind us, oh yeah, he just talked about this back in Matthew 16 when he gave the keys to Peter. And so when he gave the keys to Peter there, what we should be understanding is that Jesus was giving it to Peter as representative of the whole church and that it's the whole church who has been authorized to speak on behalf of heaven here on earth. Now, there's a couple of ways that we could uh, think about this. When Jesus is talking about this binding and loosing, he's not giving the, the authority to the elders. He's authorizing the entire church, and what he's calling the church to do is this, to guard the who and the what of the gospel. He's calling them to guard the who and the what of the gospel. Now remember, the what is the gospel itself, or, or right con, the right confession of the gospel, right? The who are true confessors. In Matthew 18, what he's telling them to do is to put someone out whose life is now out of line with the gospel they confess. He's telling them to put out the who. Um. And so, what he's calling them to do is to to guard these two things. We could go in theologically and talk about how the church is uh, following in the priesthood of believers, right? That we are a kingdom of priests. First Peter. We know that, that priests were to guard. We know that Adam was a was a type of priest there in the very beginning, and he failed to guard the garden, and he allowed the serpent to come in, and they gave heed to the serpent uh, that they were supposed to have dominion over instead of to God who created them. On and on. We could see this theme. We just don't have time. But that was their job. This is the job of the church. The priest would name you clean, unclean. Remember in the Old Testament, the church is to say, hey, this is the right, con- this is the true gospel, and this is a true confessor of the gospel right here. So when we t- do membership, that's what we're telling the world. We're saying, hey, world, this person is on Team Jesus. This person belongs to Christ. We're telling the world when they go out from here, when the church scatters, we're saying if you want to know what a Christian looks like, you look here. You look at our members. They're showing you what a Christian looks like. This is what those who have been saved by Jesus look like. Another way that you can illustrate this, you could use the team illustration. You could also use an analogy of a passport. It's like we're telling the rest of the world, this is what a citizen of heaven looks like. Think about Philippians, that our citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. This is what a citizen of heaven looks like. So here's what we're saying. We're not making them a citizen. We're, we're not confirming that. We're affirming that. We're, we're saying, yes, we believe that you truly understand the gospel and that you are a true confessor of the gospel. Your life is in line with the gospel that you confess. And, it, and you look to be a true Christian. And in the the ultimate stage of discipline, what we're saying is, hey, no longer is your life in line with the gospel. We're going to have to put you out now. And we're telling the world, this is not what a true Christian looks like. Lamentably, with tears in our eyes, we're saying, this is not what a Christian looks like. And we're making clear to the world the gospel and what Christian life looks like. Let me give you two examples from Scripture where this is happening. Galatians is the what. Galatians is the what. What does Paul say? Does he rebuke just the elders at Galatia? No, he rebukes the whole church. Who's bewitched you that you've fallen away from the gospel so far, so fast, right? And he's saying, you guys, have, you guys are letting the gospel be polluted. You're not guarding the what? You're not guarding the true gospel. And the whole church is rebuked because of it, right? Do you, do you see what's going on here? Not just the elders. What we're saying is you have a role to play here. You yourself, as, as a member of, our, of, of this church, has a role to play in guarding the what of the gospel. The second uh, example of this in Scripture is so clear of the who is 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, the whole church is rebuked by Paul. The whole church at Corinth. Not, not just the elders, not just the leaders, but the whole church And I even want you to notice this. If you were to look at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, when you're assembled, so there you go, when you've gathered together as the whole church, when you're assembled in the name of Jesus, right? And then with the power of Jesus, which shows us there's something unique about the gathered church that you can't replicate at home on your own. That's why you should be a part of the church gathering every week. There's something special going on here that Jesus blesses in a unique way. And He says, so when you've assembled in the name of Jesus and under the power, so you're not doing this in your own power, you're not doing this in your own authority, you're doing it because Christ himself has authorized you to do this, and you're coming to speak for heaven here on earth. And you're saying, this is a true confession. This is a true confessor. Hey, this is, this is not in line with the gospel. We're having to put this person out. Brothers and sisters, this is a weighty task. This is a weighty task that we have, that we've been called to do and to speak for Jesus here on earth. I'll give you another illustration. Think about it like the White House press secretary. Nobody in this room would ever want that job, but... But, but think about that. Every day, maybe multiple times a day, that person is authorized to speak on behalf of the President of the United States and to stand and to speak for them. They're not making the decisions. They're not, they're not deciding. They're just speaking on behalf. And sometimes they mess up, don't they? Sometimes they misspeak, they misstep, and they have to come back the next day and walk it back, right? And we're going to mess up at times. We're going to mess up. We're going to say this is a true Christian. It's not a true Christian. We're, We're going to mess up at times. But we have been authorized to speak on behalf of heaven here on earth and tell the world, this is the true gospel and this is a true, these are true confessors of the gospel. Now, guarding the what and the who of the gospel doesn't, please listen to this, just happen in the big moments in the life of the church. It's not just when we welcome new members in and just when we do the final uh, stages of of excommunication. That's not the only times, all right? It doesn't just happen in the big moments in the life of the church. No, it's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says, Warn one another every day as long as it's called today so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day as long as it's called today. I mean, that's all the time, right? To warn one another. And what we're saying is, hey, brother, hey, sister, don't part to the right or the left, but but follow God's word. Follow, heed his word. And if you'll notice, what it's telling you, if you read the rest of that passage, is this is God's means for preserving you to the end. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, that we do not forsake the gathering together is, is the habit of some. Right? But that we would encourage one another toward love and good works, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. That we would encourage so so there's corrective, warn one another every day as long as it's called the day. And then there's this there's this positive aspect of encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good works, do not grow weary in doing good. Think about all the one another's in the New Testament. I mean, we have to be together. And we have to be intentional, as Ken said, when we're together to do those one another's. Just just as a quick count, there's at least 23, and they're repeated throughout the New Testament, of different commands that we are to do for one another. Brothers and sisters, what I want us to see is that you have been authorized by Jesus for this task. This, This is your job. This is my job. That we are to guard one another. we're to guard the who and the what. What's at stake? The witness of the church is at stake. Christ has authorized us to do this so that we can speak for heaven on earth, and so that we're giving a clear and compelling and right witness of this is the true gospel, and this is what gospel believers look like. If you want to see what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven, you look at our people. Let's weighty. We've all heard of how the sinful witness of, of believers has brought reproach on the church because the church has failed in this way. What else is at stake? The souls of your fellow members are on the line. I mean, Hebrews 3 and 10, right? Encourage one another. Warn one another. Most important, God's glory and His, and his fame and His renown are at stake here. That we are to bring glory to God in the way that we do this. The last 10 days, I guess, we've had the flu in our house, so we're finally coming, we finally come out of that abyss, right? And so, uh, but here, I'm gonna be honest with you. We got to a point where I thought if, if I hear one more kid cough, I'm gonna lose my mind. If they don't get out from under me, right? I'm sick too. I just want to be left alone. If they don't get out from under me and if I hear them cough one more time, I am going to lose it. It would not have hurt me at all if somebody had texted me and said, Hey, Matt, love your family well during this week of sickness that you're going through. That wouldn't have hurt me at all. You don't have to know much about the gospel to do that, do you? Let me go a step further. It wouldn't have hurt me at all to be humble and say, I need some accountability in this. Would it? Can you pray for me? Because if I hear one more kid cough, I'm just going to go sleep outside. <laughs> Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, side, by side for the faith of the gospel. No one can set this out. If you do, you're handicapping the church because we are the body and we need every member. All right, thank you.